I don't know if you're like any of the other 13 million people who have already watched that video, but you kind of get the picture there that when you know your destination, it just changes everything. Everything in a moment changes when you know the destination. And so for those of you who walked in late, shame on you, number one. But number two, uh, you missed, we have cards in your uh, seat that ask you uh, where you would go on vacation to determine your destination. And when you think about your family vacation, the very, very first thing you do before you can get to anything else, before you know what to pack, before you know how to plan your route, before you know exactly how much money you're going to need, you have to determine where you're going. Where is the destination? Where will I start and where will I end? Where will I be going? The destination changes everything. And so today we're talking about the destination, especially when it comes to family. Now we're not just talking to family as in uh, husband, wife, and two kids, one boy, one girl, white picket fence, okay? We're talking about single people in here. We're talking about those who are uh, newly married with no kids, those who have a family, those who wish they had a different family. Uh, we're, just, we're talking to everybody in here. And if you're not uh, living like in a house with a husband, wife, and kids and all that, and you're single, uh, this is something that you can apply to your life that we're going to talk about today. I promise you, every single person in this room will know your destination, not just in terms of family, but your destination as a person. I want you to think about your family, uh, maybe that you have now or the family you grew up in. And there's some part of you that kind of had wishes and hopes and dreams for what that family would look like. You had that possible destination. And maybe for you, it was the one boy and one girl and the white picket fence. Or maybe you saw uh, visions of your family traveling together and you're laughing in the car and you're having great fun. And you maybe you have pictures uh, of your family on the wall in your house and everybody else comes in and they say, oh man, your, your family's so beautiful. I mean, you guys just look great. But you know that two seconds before that picture was taken, you had one crying, the other was pulling the other one's clothes off and all the wrinkles were trying, you know, you're trying to get their clothes just right. And it was the most chaotic situation that you've ever experienced in your life. But the picture looks good. And so we have this vision of what family uh, would be and what it could be and maybe what it should be. But the reality is that we walk down the aisle and we get married or you find yourself uh, in the middle of a home or in the middle of a home life that looks nothing like you thought it would be. It looks nothing like you hoped it would be. And you, you get married and you get jobs and then uh, you, you decide, you know, we, I need a new job. We need to make more money because this wife has to buy like makeup and stuff. And I got to, you know, we got to do all these things. And you continue, you know, throughout life. And then you, you know, kiss a little bit. And so you have a baby. And uh, then you kiss a little bit more, you know. And then you have four babies in four years like my wife and I, okay. So life gets a little bit out of control. It gets a little bit crazy. And somehow in there we lose sight of our destination, we lose sight of the vision of where we were going. We, we know where we started and we, we had high hopes, we had high dreams, we had great expectation, we had great vision, we had great intention. But somewhere along the way we got lost between what's ideal, our ideal picture, our ideal family, the, the family photo on the wall, and reality, what's real. 
And in that gap between what's real and what's ideal, we have chaos and we have conflict and we have circumstances that we didn't see coming our way. And what's in the middle of all of that space between what's, what's real where we are and where we want to be, we're caught up and all we can see is this conflict in our family, this conflict with other people that we know, this circumstance that took us by surprise. We didn't see it coming. We're not sure how to deal with it. And we have these issues along the way. You know what I know is true about you? In fact, why don't you just turn to somebody next to you and say, your family has issues. All right, just go ahead. Say, your family has issues. Now, I want you to look back at that person. I want you to look back at that person and with just a little bit of attitude, maybe put your hand on your hip, all right, and say, why? Why would you say that? Okay, go ahead. Why? Why would you say that? All right. Now I want you to look back at them and say, because you're in it. All right. Your family has issues because you're in it. You know, the reality is sometimes we kind of say, uh, we have this little cop out phrase. Well, that's just the way my family is. Or we would say, uh, my family has issues. But you know the, the thing about family is that families are made up of, get this, people. So you could be the problem in your family. In fact, let's just do this. This may be the very first time that any of you have had the freedom to admit this, okay? Repeat after me, and I'm going to start, I'm going to say the first part of the sentence, okay? And then I'm going to tell you guys how to finish it, okay? The first part is, in my family, okay? Now I want you to repeat after me, I am the problem. Go ahead, I am the problem. If the person next to you didn't say it, just go ahead and nudge them. You wanted to anyway, okay? I am the problem. When you think about what's ideal, you think about where you wanted to be, you know the reality is that <laughs> I'm still going, alright I love that part um, the reality is that many of us would say, my family yeah, if I were honest it, it's, it's a little bit dysfunctional we, we really do have some issues and if it's not your family then chances are you know a family that you're closely associated with, some extended family, and you, and you can see the dysfunction in their family. And honestly, when you really evaluate the world that we live in, we're just messed up. I mean, we honestly, we, we have issues. And I think if we would come to terms with the reality that is, I am the problem in my family. It's easy to look to everybody else what everybody else is not doing correctly, what they're doing wrong, what they said, what she said, how he flew off the handle. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he did that. Well, he deserves it. If we could set that off to the side and say, you know what, I'm, I'm not perfect. I have to look at reality in the mirror as well and admit, maybe I'm the problem. I can't control all the chaos, I can't control all the conflict, I can't control all the circumstance, but I can be responsible for who I am. I can be responsible for how I let God work in my life, in my home. I can be responsible for how I respond. I am the problem. 
I want to give today. It's the destination for us all. It's a destination that can help us from moving from what's real to what's ideal. What is ideal in our homes? What is the ideal outcome that every person inside of every family should be marked by? What is the ideal, what is the solution for how my kids should view me when they grow up? What will they say about me? What will they say about their mother? How will I define my kids when I'm talking to my friends? (laughs) What is this? I'm going to give it to you. You guys ready? The destination is love. The destination for our families, and remember, our families are made up of people. So your destination as an individual, my destination, where I'm going with my life is to be marked by love. I want my kids to know I love them. I want my wife to know I love her with everything in me. My goal is not to get my way. My goal is not to get by. My goal is not just to get through the conflict, chaos, and circumstance that we're facing. My goal is to love. My goal is to love with everything in me. My goal is to be known by love. My destination is love. Some of you are thinking, well, what a youth pastor right there. He should have studied just a little bit harder. I mean, I got all of these issues, and you're telling me I just got to love rainbows and butterflies and ooey-gooey feelings. I just got to love. I want to build a case today to show you that Jesus, that Jesus said, the answer for the space between what's real and what's ideal is love. The destination where I want you to find yourself, where I want to lead you as my follower, is to love. It really is the solution. Jesus came into a world full of conflict, full of chaos, and full of bad circumstance. There were people who were searching for years, for generations, for the answer to their chaos, conflict, and circumstance. They were searching for hope. They were searching for what do we do now? How can we fix this? We're messed up. We're broken. We have issues. They were searching for this, and they were just hoping that maybe some of the stories that were told long ago, that there would be a Messiah who would come, and he would reign, and he would set up a new kingdom, would come to pass. And in fact, that reality happened when Jesus was born and he came into this world as nothing. And they were just waiting for the day when this little child would grow up and he would be a king and he would overthrow the government and he would come in guns blazing and he would change everything and set up a new kingdom. And who's going to be on your right and who's going to be on your left? And let's go get them and let's take charge and let's do this thing. And we got to set things straight and we got to make things right. But Jesus had a different approach, didn't he? So while everyone was searching, while generations of people were searching for the answer, 
Jesus said, here's how we're going to change things. Here's how we're going to do things. I know you're trying to make things right. I know you're trying to do everything right. In fact, there were many people who came to him and they were questioning him. I mean, what do we do about divorce? And what happens after we die? And how do we know what's right and wrong? And they were asking him about all of these things to get perspective and to get answers on things that the Old Testament writers had written to us. And and they were trying to trick him and they were trying to trap him and they were trying to get him to say something so that they could prove, see, you're not the Son of God. You're not the Messiah. You don't know what you're talking about. They wanted to discredit him. And so they're having all these conversations. And in Matthew 22, we see a conversation. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his replies to all of these questions, all of these questions about how to solve this chaos, how to solve the conflict, how to solve the circumstances. They, they silenced the Sadducees that were asking him and they met together again to question him. And here's what they said. One of them, an expert in the religious law, they tried to trap him with this one. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? I mean, just go ahead and tell us, okay? We're trying to solve this conflict. We're trying to solve the struggle. We're trying to get by. We're trying to fix things. I mean, can you just tell us? Can you boil this down to us? What's the most important thing that we could do? And here's what he says. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. I mean, I know I gave you the first one. I want you to love me, but let me tell you about the second one that's as important as the first. I mean, what I'm about to tell you is so important that I'm going to put them together and I'm going to say that your relationship with me right here is dependent on what I'm about to tell you. To love your neighbor as yourself. Love those around you as yourself. Love your, who is your neighbor? It's everybody. (laughs) Your neighbor's the person next to you. Your neighbor is in your home. Your neighbor is the family of God. Your, your neighbor, it's love one another. Love one another. The entire law, everything you've been searching for, all the answers you've been searching for, all the hope that can be found for your problems and your circumstance and your chaos and, your, and everything that's going on, all of these things can be solved right here in these two things. Love God and love one another. It's the answer. I mean, really, Jesus? I mean, could you make it any more simple? They walked away, and they didn't question him anymore. Because they were smart enough to know. I mean, think about the Ten Commandments. I mean, the greatest law of Moses. Now, they attached 613 other laws that helped you understand how to keep the first ten in the Old Testament. So you have generations of people trying to keep 613 laws to focus on the 10. You know what the first four commandments are? They're all about loving God. You know what the rest of them are all about? Loving each other. Don't steal. Do you know why God wants you not to steal? Not because he wants to put a law in place. This is the way it is. You're going to be in trouble if you don't. I'm waiting to hit you over the head with a hammer because you stole that snicker bar from Speedway in sixth grade. (laughs) My mom and dad are here. I don't think I've ever told them that. Sorry. You know why he doesn't want you to steal? Because it hurts the person you're stealing from. Do you know why God asks us to be generous and give to other people like he's given to us? This is deep. You're going to be really surprised to hear this from a youth pastor. It's really that good. 
The reason he wants you to be generous to other people, you might want to write this down, take some notes, is because it helps the person you're giving to. Wow. See, that was like catch up with you in a minute, okay? It's really not deep at all was the whole point to that, okay? It's very simple. He gives us instructions. He gives us commands. He asks us to do things because he wants the relationship with each other to be good. He wants our relationships, our interactions, our communications, our dealings with. He wants us to live at peace with one another. He wants us to love one another like he has loved us. This message is given us again in John chapter 15. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. So we have God, he loves his son. Okay, that's pretty cool. God loves Jesus, all right? Remain in my love. Where did he get his love? He got his love from his dad. Isn't it interesting that in our culture, you can boil down so many, so much of the conflict, chaos, and circumstance and issues in our world to the fact that a kid grew up in a fatherless home? He didn't get love from his dad. So where does he get love to pass it on to someone else? Isn't it interesting that Jesus Christ himself was powered and he was sourced by what? The love of his Father. When you obey my commandments, what's it, what are his commandments? Love me and love others. So he's saying, if you love me, then do what? Love me. Have you ever thought about that with your spouse? Like, I know you tell me you love me, but I just want you to actually love me. Don't just say it anymore. I know you said it 10 years ago when we stood in front of the altar in a white dress and had a preacher that said, do you? I do. Do you? I do. Okay, I know you told me then, but I just want you to love me. Do it. It's not about a feeling. It's not about, oh, I have butterflies and, and oh, man, I just love him so much and you're so emotionally driven. And that's cool. All of that stuff's great. But we're talking about love that has action attached to it. It's not just the love that has great affections for us, like we sang a few minutes ago. And he does. He has great affection toward us. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows everything about us. He created us. He knit us together in our mother's womb. But it was also the same love that he had from his father that caused him to be able to say no when the enemy tempted him to turn a stone into bread. He was fasting. He was praying. He was spending time with his father. It was true love that drove him to a cross when he bowed down in the garden and he said, Father, if there's any other way to make this happen, if there's any other way to solve the chaos, conflict, and circumstance of these people, if there's any other way to show my love and reveal my love, I will do it. But nevertheless, Father, I love you and I know you love me and my source is your love and because I have your love, my love will drive me even to death on a cross. It will drive me through every circumstance where I'm called a liar and where I'm called uh, no true king at all and where my beard is ripped out and where my clothes are stripped of me. My love will push through the conflict, chaos, and circumstance of this life all the way to the heart of men and women sitting in a church in Xenia, Ohio on a Sunday morning. That kind of love sourced by the Father to Jesus passed to us when we remain in Him. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. Verse 10. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. 
filled, completely full, completely satisfied. The satisfied home, the satisfied marriage, the satisfied life living one together with one another that's full of joy. It's when you keep this commandment. And in case you forgot, it's love each other the same way I loved you. Are we catching a theme here? Colossians chapter 3, it says, above all, above all, everything else, everything else that you think is the answer. Your discipline, your rules, your my way or the highway. Your scripture blasting. Don't you know what the Bible says, son? Don't you know what God wants you to do? Don't you know you're being stupid right now? Above all of that, what's most important is to clothe yourself with love. It's interesting, isn't it, that he used the terminology there, to clothe yourself. What's the first thing you see about a person when you walk up? You see what they're wearing. If you've ever had a job interview or you've ever interviewed anyone else, I mean, you understand, you know, it's very important what you wear to a job interview. In our culture, it's very important what you wear to a wedding, what you wear to a funeral. I mean, we know these things. You have certain uniforms. I'm sorry, this mic is just driving me nuts here. I'm going to get it fixed once and for all here. Keeps pulling. It's very important what we wear. Have you ever seen somebody walk into the room and your thought was, oh my gosh, what are they wearing? Don't point, don't point. But oh my gosh, what are they wearing? And it's so hard to get over and get past what they're wearing. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking a risk here about giving you a visual that we're not going to be able to come back from, okay? But let's just pretend that we're on vacation and we happen to land in the same city and I walk up to you on the beach and this is what I'm wearing. <laughs> All right, sorry. Sorry for the visual. Come back. All right. I could be having the most serious discussion with you in the world about how a close family member just passed away. I could be talking about serious world issues. But guess what? You're not going to hear anything I'm saying because you can't get past what I'm wearing. <laughs> the whole time you're thinking, what is wrong with him? That does not look good. Where is Mindy? What's wrong with her? She let him wear that? What do the people in your life in your home, what do your kids have to get past before they get to your love? Do they see you wearing your temper first? No, I love, I love my kids, Pastor Nate. No, I love my wife. Oh, really? Is that what your wife sees from you? Does she have to get past your frustration? Does she have to get past your annoyance? <laughs> Does she have to get past the fact that you can't control yourself in a moment when you don't get your way, when things aren't going according to your schedule? Do your kids see love first when they break the rules, when not doing what you ask them to do, when they deliberately disobey you? Do they have to get past love first, or do they get past something else? What do they see you wearing Galatians 5, 6 says, when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important 
is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself in love. What's most important? What's most important first? It doesn't say that it's the only thing that's important. I get that. It's not like there aren't good principles. I'm not talking about getting rid of discipline. In fact, love requires discipline. I'm not saying that at all. But do your kids know that you're disciplining them in love? Or are you just punishing them for the wrong thing they did? Is the goal to lead them more toward love, which is Christ, and more toward your love and for them to know that you love them? The last job I had before I worked here, I had the unfortunate uh, job role of firing people sometimes. And I remember there was this guy that I brought him into the office and I said, I'm sorry, man, we got we to let you go. And he started crying and he wasn't crying because he lost his job. He said, Nathan, I want you to know I've never, ever worked for anybody like you. Would you pray for me before I leave today? One of the best conversations, one of the best expressions of love in that moment came through a time of discipline. I can tell you so many stories, even with my kids who are no older than four right now, of moments of hugging and embracing in a moment of discipline. So I'm not saying to get rid of all the parenting principles and all of that stuff. I'm just saying that love is what's most important. And if we leave our kids... If we leave our spouse in the middle of a conflict feeling anything from us but love, God's love working through us, then do we really have a genuine faith at all? Because this says what's most important is expressing our faith in love. Galatians 5.13 For you have been called to live in freedom... My brothers and sisters, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Isn't it interesting the contrast between a sinful life and what God wants us to do? It's not, here's all these sins over here, so here's all the things you have to do not to sin. No. The contrast in living for yourself and living for your own desires and living for your own pleasures and living for your own will against His, the contrast of that is to love one another. Not to follow all the rules, not to show up to church as often as you possibly can, just for the sake of checking the box and saying, I showed up at church, bless God, I'm a Christian, I have faith in Jesus. The contrast to living a life away from God is living a life where you love other people. Verse 14, for the whole law, every bit of it, all of it, it can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus again drives this point home in John chapter 13. He says, So now I'm giving you a new command. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove. It's not church attendance, not what people think you are, not how much money you give. People will not know that you're a Christian because you go to church on Sunday. Your family, your kids will not grow up saying mommy and daddy are Christians simply because you took them to church every Sunday. 
your wife will not honor you as the Christian leader in your home just because you made sure you were in church every week. There's one way that our kids see that we have a genuine faith in Christ. There's only one way to prove it. There's only one way to prove to that family member we haven't spoken to for months. There's only one way to prove that we are followers of Christ to the person that we've been holding bitterness against for years because of how they wronged us. It's to love. The destination is love. John 15, this is my commandment. Over and over again. Over and over in God's word. This theme. I hope that we go from here today and we read our Bibles in a little bit of a different perspective. When you start digging through and you start seeing this theme in the Bible that everything goes through the context of love. Jesus is saying again here, it's repeated. The story is told again, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater life, there is no greater love than to lay one's life down for his friends. I mean, have you ever read that verse before? There's no greater love than to lay one's life down. For his friend. But I have never realized that it comes directly after this command to love one another. And so I think, I think I've showed you today that the destination is love. The ideal that God has for our life, for our relationship with our spouse, relationship with our kids, relationship with our family, the ideal here is love. And you would say, how? How does that play out? Okay, I get it. It's love, but how does that work out in a moment of conflict with my spouse? How does that work out with this family member I can't quite seem to forgive? I mean, how does this work out in my life? And it's right there. If you're going to love one another, then there's no greater love. There's no greater way to express that love than to die to yourself. Than to die and surrender your will and your desires to Yourself. If we go back to Colossians where it says to put on love, it says this right before. For you died to this life. In order to truly love, we have to die. In order to truly love, we have to give it up. In order to truly love, we have to lay our will, our desires down to him. And so Paul picks this up in Philippians and he says, here's how this plays out. I mean, you've heard that Jesus, he didn't come to overthrow the government and to set up a new kingdom here. But he did come up to set up a new kingdom where the way the world would come to him was through relationship because of his love. Didn't Jesus always have the conversation first? Didn't he always get to the relationship first? Didn't he always go through love first when he dealt with people who were far from him. The adulterous woman was brought to him. I mean, she was caught in the act. You are absolutely wrong. In fact, any room that Jesus went to at any time, he had all authority in heaven to do whatever he wanted. He's God. 
He could have called the shots. He held all the cards. He had all the answers. But they brought this woman in the act. But because Jesus wore love, he brought change to her life through love when he said, let any of you around here, let any of you who are telling me how bad she is, let any of you who are without sin, you go ahead and throw the first stone at her. He was her protector in that moment. He was her security in that moment. He just added value to her in that moment. He loved her first. And then he said, don't go and do it anymore. Don't, don't go do this anymore. It's there, but it came through love first. Story after story after story. Jesus always got to the conversation. He always got to the heart. He always went through love. And when he loved them, they changed. When they experienced his love and they became sourced by his love, they changed. They were different. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? I mean, have we learned anything? <laughs> have we learned anything from the love that he's given us? Do we have any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Here's how this love plays out. When Jesus said, I love this world, I love you, here's how he showed his love. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Don't be humble thinking of yourself as bad, better than others because this is how Jesus did it. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, something to hold on to. It's my way or the highway. This is how it is. I'm right, you're wrong. In every room he walked into, that was the case. But he didn't use his authority to rule people into doing the right thing. Instead, he humbled himself and he considered himself nothing when he walked into the room and expressed himself through love. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Everywhere that love is able to be expressed, there's also death. We can't have our way. We can't have our selfish desires. We can't have what we want. We can't keep our right to be offended by those in our home and those in our families and those in our church family together. We can't keep those things and also be loving at the same time. How do I do that? I mean, where can, where can I muster up that kind of love? I mean, I don't, I don't know about that, Nate. I mean, it all makes sense, and I, mean, I get what you're saying here, but how does that play out? There's good news. Because God never asks us to do this on our own. 
1 John chapter 4. So dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Where does this kind of love that we're talking about today come from? It doesn't come from trying really hard. It certainly doesn't come from trying to love the way our culture says and what culture says love is. Our love comes from one place, and that's God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son. He put it to action. Not rainbows and butterflies. I'm going to show you my love. Love is a verb. Love is what I'm actively doing for you every single day, every moment of every day. I'm loving you. He would have been a really bad marriage counselor. I just don't think I'm in love anymore. I just don't think I'm loving. I'm, 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 I don't love him anymore. I just, I'm just not sure about this. And he would say, well, are you loving him? Well, no, I just said I don't love him. No, I'm not talking about the feeling of love. I'm talking about, are you loving your husband today? Are you laying yourself down and your pride and your agenda and your selfishness for your spouse today? Are you laying down what you want for the sake of your kids today? Are you loving them? This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, meaning he is the source. He came first. Yes, we love God, but only because he loved us first. He still gets the credit for us loving him. <laughs> but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Verse 10 or 11. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Since he loved us, it's only rational, it only makes sense if we've actually experienced the loving, gracious Father's love. It only makes sense to love others. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Again, faith, faith expressed in love. That's the main thing. That's the most important thing. And we can only get it when we've truly experienced the love of God for ourselves. That's the only way to get it. And today, our starting, our starting points, they're different. Some of us have great family life. Some of us have terrible family life. But I think the question that we all have to ask ourselves today is, what does love require of me? If my destination is over here, if my destination is love, then what does love require of me? What if we all asked ourselves the question this week? What does love require of me this week in my family? Could it require me changing my schedule a bit? Could it, remind, could it remind me that I'm the one with the issues? I'm the one with the problems here. And love can't exist in my home. God can't love through me unless I lay it down. What will love require of us this week when we're interacting with our kids? 
What does love require of you with that family member that you haven't spoken to for months or even years? What will love require of us as a church family to care for one another, to honor one another, to respect one another? It could mean we talk a little bit less about each other behind their backs, right? (laughs) What does love require of us? And that's the challenge. This week, Monday morning, what does love require of me today? Because the destination is love. The destination of our lives is love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be brought to life by your sacrifice. Thank you that your love drove you to pay the ultimate price so that we could truly live in you when we die to ourselves. We die to our own agenda, our own will, our own desires. I pray that this week you will bring this question to our mind, what does love require of me, over and over and over and over again, and remind us that love is the destination. Love is what our families should be marked by. I pray that you would bring this word to life, not because it's words that Nate spoke, but because it's your living, breathing word in our lives sent to us through the Bible. Let us come to life when we love one another this week. Amen. As our servers are coming almost every week, we have communion here. Communion is a symbol of the body and the blood that was shed for us because of the love of Jesus that drove him to the cross to pay the ultimate sacrifice for us. What better way? What better way to pursue love than to start right here at the table? where the symbol of the greatest love was poured out for us. I want to invite you this morning to come to the table. You can also feel free to come up here and maybe you want to kneel. Maybe you want to get with your family. Maybe you want to pray together. And you all, together as a family, maybe you want to lay it down. (laughs) Lay your selfish desires down and ask yourselves, what does love require of us? Love is the destination. This is a new journey for us. This is a new start for us as a family. I don't know what this moment looks like for you. Maybe it looks like just sitting and contemplating in your seat. But you are invited to the table and to the altar this morning.